This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It's August and Georgia State football has opened up fall camp ahead of the season opener later this month, so we're ready to go full tilt into our 2023 season previews. This week, we'll look at the August and September slate of the games and give the first of our initial impressions on the position groups one by one. First, gentlemen, how are we feeling this week? What's going on? Yeah, you kind of hit it with the it's August. Like I saw on my Twitter feed earlier today, and yes, it's still called Twitter. We're all going to keep calling it Twitter and retweets no matter what someone Absolutely. tries to do to do the worst rebounding possible. Um, but on my Twitter feed was the clip from the Dan Levitard show. I guess this was today or maybe yesterday of just everyone on that uh, you know radio crew just saying football. and. It just got me excited, obviously, because football, but it also is like basically what this entire month is for college football fans, where you're just kind of like saying to all your friends you talk about like it's football, like we're about to start. Like this is the media day is the appetizer. And then as everyone is starting fall camp and as you know, we're getting closer and closer, the anticipation really ramps up. And so that's where I'm at. I feel like we do this every year when we're starting, but I, I every year that's the feeling. And this year, I think, especially for Georgia State fans, because last year and basically all sports went pretty poorly. And so the only way to erase that is to have this season start and get to do a do over. You're absolutely right. You know, I <laughs> I went to the gym this morning and, you know, there's a specific time in ESPN coverage where they start talking themselves into the Dallas Cowboys being, you know, any sort of good when you know, they didn't make any crazy moves. And it dawned on me. I was like, you know, the Cowboys coverage has ramped up. That means football must be back. So, yeah, it's it's August. It, the games might not have started yet, but they're they're so soon. You know, it's the third right now. But by time by time you look up, it's going to be the end of the month. And, you know, it'll be kickoff at Center Park Stadium or wherever your first game is for, you know, whoever is out there listening to this. And like cynically the off season has gotten filled with like, Oh look, the transfer window is going to get bigger and bigger. And you're going to have this ridiculous blowout of all these guys leaving the schools they're at and the realignment, which apparently also does not have any time limit on it. And you're still having stuff drop even into this week. And I think I saw something kind of leak even just right before we started recording. So that's fun. And, you know, it's just nice that once the actual games start happening, it's not that that type of news stops because obviously i think we're going to keep hearing stuff from all these schools that are oh my god the thought of so much money they could be having in these other conferences i feel so bad for them but less of that starts taking up airspace as there's actual games to discuss and so as nowadays the offseason turns into a lot of topics that no one really likes talking about uh, football being back means that those are less important and so we dive into the stuff that really matters, like you know, esoteric Sunbelt matchups uh, in September and October. Yeah, nobody cares about the, you know, the musings of who's going to join the Big Ten from as geographically far away as possible. <laughs> Let's just have a Sunbelt fight where we talk about how many permutations of, you know, who can win this conference when in fact JMU is just going to be the one to win the East Division and still not get to go to the championship game. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, plenty of fun stuff to get into, and 
I don't think we're going to do too much of that here, but yes, I digress. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's go ahead and jump okay. right on into counter, it. Counter, counter. What? All we're going to do is the fun stuff. I, oh. I just, This is the podcast, the fun stuff. We're leaving the not fun stuff at the at the door. Like We are not diving in on that unless we have to, which we don't have to because the Sunbelt kind of did their round last time, I think hope i you know i don't know what else like what other room for realignment is there like they kind of you know put a button on it in a bow just and made it look look really nice so i I don't know what they could do idaho to the pac-12 pac-9 pac-8 how how many are left now got to get that kibby dome in the bull rotation how many schools are left or how much of the conference is left because it does either or the the pac is dying uh <laughs> it is no longer Pac-12 after dark. It is Pac-12 after life. So on Apple Plus or whatever, I don't, I don't know. Well, Sunbelt's on ESPN Plus, so uh, we got that going for us. I didn't know if that was like a little sarcastic thing, or maybe it was, and I just stomped, stomped on your joke. But it's like the fun stuff's here. We're we're leaving the other stuff not here. Keep listening. Keep listening. Well, to some degree, it's all fun stuff, but uh, we have some specific fun stuff to discuss in. Uh, August and September, and that, of course, is Georgia State football. So let's go ahead and dive into our schedule gut check, part one, which, as I said earlier, is August and September. We have the opener Thursday, August 31st, versus Rhode Island back in the friendly confines of Center Park Stadium, and then hosting UConn the following weekend on September 9th, traveling up to Charlotte on September 16th, uh, traveling to Coastal Carolina on Thursday, September 21st, and then returning back home hosting Troy on September 30th. So first five games of the season, gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we've done this, I think, two seasons now, maybe three. I don't remember how long this has gone on, but uh, as the name suggests, it's basically just on vibes at this point and what we know about the teams without diving too deep. I don't want to say it's no research because I've definitely cop, you know, kept up with these schools Georgia State's playing, especially in the Sun Belt. So I'm not having gone with this without having done any research, but we're saving a lot of the bulk of like, this is on the team. This is the coach, all that. And obviously as their seasons go on, what games they've played and who they've beaten, who they lost to when those games come up on the schedule in the coming weeks. But this is kind of a first chance to look at the schedule at a broad picture and kind of look at the way it shapes up, maybe give a tentative kind of win loss when it's all done that may or may not look, I know two years ago, ours did not look great. So hopefully going to shoot a little bit better percentage than how they did uh, looking, uh, I guess, last season too. Last season did not go great. Um, but starts out with Rhode Island. And I, I think this is a weird subject for a lot of Georgia State fans because a lot of the time that Georgia State's played football, they were behind the eight ball in whatever division they were in. And, and when they made the jump to FBS, they sh- surely were not ready. And they had a fair amount of FCS games in those years, and they didn't go well. They lost three to start out the gate in 2013. They barely beat Abilene Christian, who was transitioning to FCS from Division II in 2014. Lost the first game in what was then Georgia State Stadium against Tennessee State in Coach Elliott's first game in charge in 2017. So I understand basically every time the trepidation with the season opener against the FCS team from fans because – the track record isn't super, uh, and it's going to take just years of it being the scheduled win that everyone kind of treats it as before I think a lot of people are going to be like, 
it's a scheduled win like it's supposed to be. But it's a decent Rhode Island team. They went seven and four last year. Um, I think they return at least their quarterback. They return some pieces. It's still a game that if Georgia State plays kind of clean, mistake free, it should be a win. Like having all said, having said all that about like what's gone on in the past. If this is a game they lose, then basically nothing else we say for the rest of this podcast matters or the next one or the next one, because it's going to symbol that any changes that needed to happen over the offseason did not happen. It's going to take away one of the wins they kind of need to get to, just chalking up as this is a win, one of the six to for sure get to a bowl game. And obviously, I think it would have a deflating effect on the team to lose that game in the opener. So uh, for all those reasons, I think it has to be a win. and I think. As long as you avoid the pitfalls, like with the turnovers you had against Tennessee State, um, I don't think they're going to get played off the field by Rhode Island, certainly. I think that it, every opportunity exists to win this game and comfortably at that. Agree. You know, like that was a solid Rhode Island team last year. You know, you mentioned how they were seven and four, but if you look at who those four losses were, one was on the road to Pittsburgh, um, you know, at, ACC opponent and then the other three were to teams that finished higher in the CAA than them so you know that's just kind of where their schedule you know the pieces of their schedule kind of fell apart in a sense so but at the same time this is still Georgia State you know they need to be these are the types of games that you schedule on your calendar to be give me wins like like i'm you know i not to belittle any fcs talent obviously there is some very good fcs schools but this is definitely a game that you know georgia state has to come in and you know with the right mentality of course but it has to be a game where they look at it and say yes we are more talented we are bigger stronger faster xyz you know we need to win this game um and I, I like what you said about how a lot of people will approach this in similar ways because of Georgia State's history, um, which I think is fair. You know, there there are people who might th- think that that's unfair, but, you know, until it really is just the wake up and give me game for them, you know, you kind of have to mention the Tennessee Tech game, Tennessee State game, um, you know, the close calls with Abilene Christian and, you know, some of the prior losses as Georgia State transitioned from you know, up to F- FBS football, excuse me. Um, but yeah, this is definitely one that they need to have. Um, Cause I think, I think it'll really set the tone, honestly, you know, they open the season on a Thursday, you know, that's kind of their, I don't want to call it a bit because that sounds so kind of corny, but you know, it's something that they clearly like to do. It's a game that's going to be played at night, you know, something that they very much so enjoy. Uh, but yeah, they definitely need this one for sure. And the other thing is they haven't had one since beating Furman in 2019. The schedule got a little bit shaken up because they were going to play Murray State in 2020, but obviously that game did not happen. They changed the schedule because of COVID. Um, did not have one scheduled in 2021, which <laughs> was part of why we were talking about why it's such a daunting schedule. And so I think those memories linger on because uh, Furman was another one. It was a close call. Um, and it, it's been so long, and you don't have a couple of those games in the in the meantime, where I think that 2021 team probably does handle whatever FCS team they played comfortably, even though they didn't really have it going at the beginning of the season. Uh, So understand those feelings. It's also the debut for Chad Staggs as a DC, and obviously we're going to get into the defense and all its aspects through the next couple of podcasts getting ready for the season. But 
for a guy that's coming in, had a lot of success at Coastal Carolina, especially in 2020 and 2021. It's the first chance for him, like they could shut out a team and get, you know, five picks and it's not going to mean a ton as far as the rest of the season, but it would be a first chance for him to be like, yeah, this is the guy that coach Elliott needed to hire a defensive coordinator. And so that opportunity certainly exists. And I guess other than just like seeing the team, how they have responded in the off season, that will be the thing I'm watching most in the opener, just kind of what the defense looks like. Cause it will be a new defense for the first time since the first game that coach Elliott coached here, because they Fuquay has been the guy every season until now. Yeah, it'll be fun. You know, I think <laughs> it's going to be a, a great day for overreactions, both in good and bad ways. Um, I'm trying to think, do you remember the last Georgia state shutout on defense? I don't think they've had one in a while. Well, there's um, the Charlotte game in 2017. And that was the first shutout in program history. It was the first win Coach Elliott's time in Atlanta. Um, they've had second half or first half shutouts in a few games since then. But I believe, unless I'm blanking on something obvious, the Charlotte game in 2017 is the last shutout. Yeah, I believe so too. Um, so yeah, I mean, that would be a really good opening statement for, you know, uh, I will say a new team identity. That's what I'm going to say. That's how I am approaching this offseason. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later. Um, because I, I have a feeling, regardless of where Georgia State's record ends up, they are changing kind of the mentality that they have and going back to kind of what they showcased in the end of 2020 and 2021. I'm, you know, that is my hot and, take of the first pod and, of the season. You know, it's a strange thing to pull off in year seven of a head coach being in a place, you know, and often what happens is it doesn't happen. And that like, when you see the downfall happen with under a certain coach, you don't really see a team get back on the horse that often this late in their time. You know, sometimes things just kind of decline and you realize it's time for a change, but this is kind of the year to prove it or not. Cause if they go to a bowl again, kind of independent of anything else, like even if they just have a winning record again and beat the teams they're supposed to, that'll feel like a return to where everything was going before last season. Obviously, if you don't have that happen, if you have another losing season, then it feels like it's a trajectory that's going in the wrong way. So it is. I'm going to be interested to see how it all plays out because if they do, you know, coaches don't really – get a turnaround this late in their tenure that works out. And so it would be the exception to a lot of the norms that have happened over college football when coaches even coach this long into their tenure, which itself is kind of a rarity in college football nowadays. Like you're either a lifer or you're moving on between four to six years. It's just kind of the reality of the sport now. It really is. And I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are a bit surprised coach Elliott is still here. Um, because you can, you have seen the growth, and you know, to your point, it will be interesting to see, you know, kind of are they kind of returning to, you know, the level of play that they had the past few years? Because I mean, it, it's been a good six years entering year seven. It really has. Um, it, you know, you might be disappointed with the highs of you know the progress and the success, but it is 
it would be a lie to say that there hasn't been growth here because there absolutely have. You know, we're talking about Georgia State having a, you know, this is a perennial bowl team standard at some point during Coach Elliott's tenure. So. And, you know, smoothly transitioning here, speaking of teams that made a real jump that I don't know if people really expected, Jim Mora led UConn to a bowl in his first season in charge last year. They went six and six. They ended up losing to Marshall in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. But I think it was a little bit of a uh, – the, the schedule helped them out. They did play some some less good teams, and they caught teams at a good time. You know, UConn beat Liberty one of the weeks where it was very clear that Hugh Freeze was just interviewing everywhere and trying to get a new job, and they caught them at the right time. But they beat Fresno State. Uh, it was a good win. They did beat some good teams, and it's a team that – I really don't know how to size up. I think just kind of on a base level, I think the Georgia State's going to win this game because it's at home, you know, a bit of a travel for UConn. Um, but I don't really know, you know, it's certainly not a game they can take lightly. Maybe the best thing for Georgia State's chances in this game is that UConn did go to a bowl last year and it wasn't like they were similar, like four and eight, three and nine team as Georgia State where they can go, oh, we're better. We can beat them. They didn't even go to a bowl last year either. I think that'll make it front and center. Like this is a good enough team to beat us. Um, I think they'll be similar. And just at this point, I would put it as a win just because um, another home game, you know, a chance with two winnable home games to start the year and starting out two and O before you even travel is a far cry from how the last couple of seasons has started. And, you know, they recovered from how badly the season started in 2021. They clearly did not in 2022. The easiest way to not have to dig out of a hole is not be in the hole in the first place. And so it is a decent chance, even as there's questions about this team, to start 2-0 and at home. And I certainly think that is achievable. It's really impressive when you have a team that went – played uh on the road at michigan and went 59 and zero and lost 59 to zero and still end up a bowl game a bowl team um because after that week their record dropped to what one and four and you know that they got a little bit of 2021 georgia state in them last year uh but yeah no this is definitely a game that georgia state needs to win um and, and you know it, it's kind of like how we feel about Charlotte a lot of, a lot of the time, and obviously Charlotte is still on the schedule. Um, but the Charlotte game the last couple of years has kind of signaled um, where Georgia State is at various parts in the season when they've played them. You know, if they play well and lose, okay, fine. They shouldn't lose, but you know, it's, losses do happen sometimes. Um, but I, I don't think this is a bad UConn team. I just think, you know, the same thing we've been saying about Georgia State for the last couple of years, for them to be kind of – to figure out where they are in relation to some other G5 teams, um, this is definitely a team where they need to probably win. Also, side note, is an independent school a G5 school? I don't think so. Well, I mean, there's not – Notre Dame is independent, and they are clearly not G5. Whereas yeah, exactly. I every other team that's independent currently, I think you'd probably classify as G5. Okay, that's fair. So fair I don't point. think you can really put a label. They're independent. You know, they're, they're giving you the label for you. There it is. <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah. Also, I, I think- to note, uh, they start with NC State. Appears to be a home game against NC State, which is wild to me. Uh, yeah, that, Dave that- Doran, what are you doing? 
seems like a surprise right like so, that, that, that does not seem normal to me yeah i'm just learning this for the first time i mean i've looked at a few things about UConn, but i have not actually looked at their schedule they are certainly hosting nc state the same night that georgia state plays rhode island uh so i was gonna say i won't tell you a ton because it's probable that nc state's gonna win that but i mean road games weird you know you don't just go <laughs> stores connecticut get her done but uh still probably a game that we're not going to have that much more info on UConn going into game two, but I will certainly be peeking at that box score after uh, just to see what kind of happened. Because again, my main takeaway from UConn is I need to do some more digging and I kind of need to see something on the field in 2023 because the bull run still doesn't make a ton of sense. They average less than 20 points a game uh, on offense. Uh, I need to kind of see if it's like a step or if it was just kind of the way things lined up for them. Um, and that's not a disparage, you know, good for them for taking advantage of what they could getting to a bowl game. I mean, in year one for a coach says a lot about what he was able to bring in immediately just as far as team mentality. And so not going to be an easy out, but Georgia state's going to need it to be an out, I guess is the best way to put it. And then you mentioned Charlotte. I, I wasn't sure if you were transitioning in the middle of that to talk about Charlotte or if you were leaving it, I figured it out eventually, but we can talk about the game at Charlotte now the following week. Um, this is another one that's weird for me. Uh, Biff Pogi, uh, Pogi, one of those two, uh, is the head coach now. He was at Michigan, the associate head coach, and he had previously been a high school football coach in the state of Maryland. Uh, and he is he certainly made some noise in his short time as the uh, 49ers head coach. He uh, there was a little bit of a Twitter spat with uh, someone connected with Charlotte, someone in the media with Charlotte. There's kind of a you know, little back and forth where he was a little bit aggressive, uh, quote tweeting. And then at media day, he got three questions at American Conference media day and was very demonstrative in uh, being upset at only getting three questions and saying, uh, I guess that's what you think of us. And then tapped the uh, the lectern and said, message received. And has continued to kind of go along that lines of like, media doesn't care about us. They picked us last. Uh, if anything, he will be an entertaining coach to watch from afar. And in this game against Georgia State in the middle of this September, uh, I think he wants to do a lot of the same stuff that Sean Elliott does. You know, I think he wants to kind of establish the run game there. Uh, and so for that reason, it's one that... Is, even removing the payback factor from last year, it's kind of like the team that's trying to emulate where you should be in year seven. I think even though it's on the road for, for that reason, it's one you're going to want to win. I, I wouldn't really guarantee it. I think winning both of the road games here and the next one at coastal would be a real like home run, especially given that they happen within five days of each other. I think tentatively what I'd say is no matter what, I think they split those games and, We'll get into why, aside from whatever Coastal has, I think we all know I'm giving them the possibility of winning on the road against Coastal. It has nothing to do with the records of the teams on the field, just the way that series has gone. Um, but I won't say it's anything like a guaranteed win, but it's one I think they'd like to have. I think it would losing that game would, again, speaking to what I was saying earlier, say something about, you know, are they still making progress or are they getting passed by a similar team? Yeah. Um, Charlotte's a tough nut to crack, man. You know, the games that they play against Georgia State are very odd. Last year, you know, was the just trading scores, trading scores. Georgia State just couldn't, you know, finish the job. I think the year before was the just, you know, 
early season dominant performance and then you know the defense kind of stopped playing like that for a couple of weeks you know partially due to opponent um but yeah i'm I'm excited to see how uh coach biff handles handles himself going forward because this 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 really could be an exciting little uh team and coach opportunity they've got there it feels very high risk high reward like it feels like if it works like the plan that he set out in the way he's talking, they could do all that he's saying, kind of make a name for themselves at the top of the new world order in the American. But if it doesn't work, it could go just disastrously wrong. And I don't know how big the in-between is. I don't know how many outcomes there are out of the hundred that play out where it's just kind of like they win five games a, a year and move on quietly after four years. It feels very boom bust. And even after Georgia State's done playing them this year, I'm definitely still going to be tuning in. You know, if any of what he was doing at media days or if all of what he was doing at media days was just kind of theater to get people invested and to get eyeballs on him and his program, congrats. It worked with me. I'm certainly interested, even if I'm more really curious on how well or not it's going to go. That's right. They are in the American now. I, you know, I don't even think that dawned on me because... This, that's going to be a Sorry. conference. That's a, a podcast for yeah. That's a podcast for a different day. But you know that is going to be certainly be a football conference. And then the next road game, national TV, big ESPN, I think, against Coastal Carolina and open Sunbelt play. Second straight year they will be opening Sunbelt play in the middle of September in a midweek game against Coastal Carolina. This time the venue shifts up to Conway. It will be the Chad Staggs Bowl. He will be facing his former team, the guy, the team he's been the DC for the previous seasons before now. And obviously, I think in the, a lot of the same way that it was last year, it'll be kind of a parameter for where Georgia State sits in the Sun Belt. You know, it last year was like, oh, there's a little bit of a gap right now, and Georgia State I think played their worst quarter, like that they did. Worst start of a game they've had in a while, maybe since the other, the last time they'd played in Atlanta against Coastal and just got absolutely boat raced and didn't really give themselves a chance in that game. And so with Tim Beck now in charge of the Chanticleers, I'm interested to see what that looks like. I know Grayson McCall is back. Jared Brown and Sam Pickney, who we're very familiar with, are back as wide receiving options. And they have some other guys back on defense as well. I still don't know if it's necessarily going to be copy-paste kind of the success that they had under Jamie Chadwell yet. I need to see it just because it felt like kind of the perfect marriage of everything. Uh, but we'll get our first glimpse of that, that midweek, the Thursday up in up uh, by Myrtle Beach. The problem with Coastal 2 um, this year anyway is this will probably be, you know, their first, opponent that you can say is okay this is a an opponent that is kind of on par with them um or around where they want to be like their schedule you know they open the season at ucla you know in the rose bowl and then they play jacksonville state and then duquens i, I never know how to pronounce that one um duquesne duquesne okay thank you you know, they play duquesne after they play jacksonville state and you know they've got three home games so you kind of look at those games the same way that Georgia State would approach the Rhode Island game to open the season. But, I, you know, there's not really a comparable opponent for 
coastal early in the season until they get to Georgia State. And I mean, there's going to be some growing pains. You know, this isn't going to be, you know, the Jamie Chadwell show. There's a new head coach, you know, and new head coaches come new philosophies, even if they are similar philosophies, they're still different people. You know, they have different mannerisms. They motivate differently. You know, the players might be similar. Um, you know, McCall's, you know, he's going to be the preseason favorite for every Sunbelt offensive award that he is eligible for, um, which is probably just like one or two. But anyways, you know, they, they have the same some of the same names that made them a very good team last year and the year before. But new coaches are weird. You know, new coaches sometimes lead to success. And sometimes, you know, there are some growing pains, even when the personnel is the same. So it, I think. And like you said, independent of the records, this is definitely a game that Georgia State can take advantage of um, as they start Sunbelt play. Well, and, and Tim Beck has a weird history in that basically he, he's got an offensive coordinator background. And all the stops he's been to, he was at Ohio State, he was at Texas, he was just at NC State, which is where he got hired from by Coastal. And none of the places that he left really missed him, you know, if I can say it like that. And I just wonder that that is you know, chiefly what it is for me. It's just, it's not just that it was a perfect marriage for Chadwell. It's like, what is the offensive system that he is going to bring in that gets the most out of these players? Because at a couple of stops previous to this, where he has had, you know, some of the best talent he could have, people who are watching the program week in, week out were not super impressed with what he was doing as an offensive mind. And so if they had made a different hire, you know, if I don't, I don't know what the hire would have been to make sense that would have you know eased any of those worries but just as i look at it i just need to see it and you know we will get to see that and i mentioned it earlier um there was the reason why i could have picked georgia state independent of the game you know the teams on the field and it's just because the the road team has never lost in that series it's the weirdest thing that just keeps happening but the home team is over the entire time that the panthers and chanticleers have played uh, and so for that reason, you have to give Georgia State pretty good odds because it just it keeps happening like, until it doesn't happen, until the streak is finally broken. It's one of those things you're going to have to have in the back of your mind. It doesn't it's just sports. It, it doesn't compute. I'm not giving an actual reason why that would make any sense. I'm just saying we've done this as a couple of pods now. Every time this week comes up, it's like, well, this is the, the way it's been. And there was reasons to think that it was going to snap at some point. Like There was reason to think that 2020 team, you know, as good as Coastal was, Georgia State was not 51 points worse than them. That's just how the game played out. You could have talked yourself into that being the, the, the one that ended it or um, the year after. I mean, the 2021 result was, you know, mildly surprising too. I think Georgia's like, people didn't expect Georgia State to, you know, hang yeah. around in that game, yet alone win that game. that was the more likely game. one to have it break it. That was the one it was more likely to, I would say, because... Georgia State was kind of back, but it was still a really good coastal team that was kind of firing on all cylinders, and it was an impressive win to go up and do it. And and it lives. It lives through last year. Coastal took care of business in Atlanta, and until, you know, if this is the year it ends, it'll be at Georgia State's expense, and we can kind of dispense with it. But I guess it's been a fun little sports are always going to find weird anomalies uh, story to follow through the entire time Coastal has been in the Sun Belt. Like it is the first thing I think about when I think of them in any sport. It's like that is the team that the road team has always won the game in football. 
And then kind of wrapping up this uh, gut check for September and August, uh, kind of a similar game, I would say, to the Coastal game on the road. You return home, you face Troy, who won the Sun Belt, great under John Summerall in year one. And I say it's kind of the same game because you could talk yourself into Georgia State going 3-0 and in their first three and then losing the next two against Coastal and Troy, and it would kind of feel like, okay, so they're maybe back to where they should be, but they're still having trouble beating the top teams. If they find a way to win one or both of those final two games in this month, it'll show to a lot of people that they are back in a more major way than they've been before. And so the first three games give you that opportunity to kind of raise the floor of your win total. It's three winnable games. And then it's two games right after each other in Sunbelt play to kind of prove yourself and if it's going to be more than that. And so... The bottom line for me with the first stretch of games is I think it is highly likely we can form a pretty strong opinion about Georgia State in 2023 after the first month or after the first five games because the way the schedule lines up, you know, it could be a circumstance where they go three and two in those games and, you know, you're still kind of waiting for the other two to drop with the, the games that are to come. But in either direction past that, you could see more than that. You know, if they're four and one or five and oh through, that those games like that's a legit turn and a team that is gonna have major wins against teams that have been the best in the conference the last couple of years and if it goes the other way if you're looking at two and three one and four over again obviously i think you're gonna have learned about all you need to know about georgia state football in 2023 so i don't think it's easy i think playing those two teams back to back the best thing you can say is you get a couple of days off before Troy because you play on Thursday the week before, but it gives them an opportunity to make some waves in September and in a lot of, you know, in a way that I don't think that they've had the chance to early in the season that often, or that many teams get a chance to that often. Because those will be some two pretty seismic chances to win games right here. Yeah, Troy is, it's tough. Um, you know, they, I mean, look, if they upset Kansas State, they have a really good opportunity to go undefeated this year. Just, you know, being honest, that's a really good Troy team, um, which isn't to say Georgia State can't win. Um, but it's it's better that that game is in Atlanta than it is. You know, it's nice that that game is in Atlanta, I will say. Um, but yeah, I mean, we will we will learn a lot about this Georgia State team by the time that that game has finished. Um, you know, even if even if they go three and two, I think, you know, if it's three and two, but they look bad in most of the five games, I think we will still know a lot about this team at that point, just because, you know, at some point things have to start being better in that respect. So. Yeah, and I mean, it's almost half the schedule, so it feels kind of obvious to be like, oh, you know a lot about the team after five games. Uh-huh. Subscribe for more scintillating analysis. But. I mean, if you look at last year, I don't think the first five games told you. I mean, it told you that things were not going to go as you would hope if you were looking for the the max out of wins and resetting the school record again because they lost the first four. But, you know, starting 0-4 and and then you beat Army, you beat Georgia Southern, you know, that stretch of games was entirely different. October was entirely different to September in ways that I don't think this sets up to be the same way. I think you're going to get that kind of variety of opponent that it's going to tell you a lot more. 
the schedule is it's yeah we'll we'll get into the other games obviously in the next couple of podcasts but i don't think the schedule lines up in the same way that it did last year to have that kind of inferno october if you will so yeah i I think you're right and i don't think that we have reckoned with as podcasters or listeners on just how different it's going to be without those two power conference games to start out the year obviously that means there's a little bit less intrigue and it's not like a are they going to pull off this win against this major program everyone's heard of but i think once we get through september you know especially once we get through those first couple of games and assuming things go pretty well for georgia state win at least you know two of the first three it's gonna be just a world different to last year where we were like it just felt like they were scooping themselves up off the field after that final you know after lost to unc just of how brutal first couple of weeks that was and this is just not going to be that now they can't approach it like that or that's the way to doom themselves to losing these games like that's the the disconnect between us on podcast talking about it and the mentality players have to have but i think that's the thing that we really won't know was so different until we're kind of through those few weeks and it just is going to feel different it's not going to feel as momentous as it did the last you know last september and i think that's a good thing all right, so of course, uh, next pod we'll hit up the next uh, month's slate of games. But now let's go ahead and switch on over to our position groups preview. Brady and David have been uh, chatting up for three different position groups this week, so very interested to hear what you guys have in store for us this week. What you got? Yeah, so I never know how to organize these things. I think last couple of years we've taken kind of an organized week-to-week thing, and I kind of wanted to throw that all up in the air this time and there's 10 position groups to talk about counting the specialists and kind of just we're just going to go kind of a pick them style where each pod we're going to trade off this is the position we're going to talk about now we're just kind of going to surprise each other like i'm prepped for whatever but i don't know what order this is going to go in and it'll probably still kind of be some kind of ordered is like it's not going to be all the defense in one pod or whatever but just laying the process out on the table that we're kind of winging this year, just kind of organizing, just not really fussing with any kind of special order for this because at the end of the day, just hitting all the positions and, you know, a lot of new faces across the board is kind of the theme, but as I'm the one talking now, I'll start it off and I'll start it off with the obvious one that anyone's ever going to start with. I'll start with QB quarterback room. And, you know, I think a place where we have kind of staked our credibility because I think we buy a lot of the positives that, you know, certainly the coaching staff see in Darren Granger. And the starting point for me on the QB room is that it sounds like not only has he taken a leap on the leadership aspect, being more vocal, being more keep the head up, like some of the stuff that we heard as we talked about at media days, he also has added 30 pounds. He said when he spoke to the assembled media at the start of spring practice this past week, he was like in the 190s range last year, and he's up to 225 right now. And so... Like, given that, that alone, we haven't seen this version of Darren Granger yet. And, like, that alone is kind of the numbers you want from a quarterback at the FBS level to kind of hold up. And so as long as he can keep his his athleticism and the reports from the players and from Coach Elliott that he's done so to this point, I mean, that's a whole different ballpark. Absolutely. You know, quarterback is a – very interesting position for Georgia State. And I, I think it was last week's pod. I want to say definitively it was the pod where you made a comment to the effect of in 2021, 
Georgia State was looking for a, you know, four year starter, a freshman to kind of just take the reins and, you know, run with it for a while. Even a three, even three, yeah, years. even, even three, three years. years. And I mean, it's 2023 and, you know, Derek Granger's back. Um, and I think the, the one thing that I like about Darren Granger, and I will say this until I'm blue in the face, when you have situated every other aspect of the offense, Darren Granger is a guy that you kind of forget about and you realize that he is someone who can beat you when he has time in the pocket or you know has enough protection to where he can use his legs. He can beat you when wide receivers are winning on the outside or, you know, depending on what the play call is, you know, when they're winning their matchups against the secondary or against linebackers, you know, he gets the he does have the ability to get the ball to them. And I'm not going to say he's a perfect quarterback. No, I'm not going to say he's the best quarterback in the Sun Belt. No, you know, there are guys who have shown more talent than him. Absolutely. Um but he but, could be you know, one of the better ones. He Everything could be. Right. He could be one of the better ones. And and I think that is the part that really gets lost with a lot of people. You know, sure, he might not be the guy who's ending up winning the Offensive Player of the Year award. But then when you look up and tally up his, you know, yards from scrimmage and realize like, yeah, this was a guy who's top five in, you know, yards produced because he can run so effectively, you know, because he was able to pass so effectively. And it's, you know, it's not just guys who were, you know, catching slants and, you know, being able to run after the catch and, you know, pad his stats. Like, no, this is a guy who, you know, when push comes to shove, sometimes he is able to throw the ball over the top. Um, and I mean, we've seen it, we've seen it for a couple of years. And I think a big part of his struggles at times are when the pass protection isn't there or the running game isn't really an option. So, you know, teams kind of like Georgia state, when they get one dimensional, I think he is the perfect quarterback for a team that likes to run the ball as much as Georgia state. And then you have to talk about his ability to run and be included in that, you know, um, like I, I, I am not somebody who has ever really wavered on Darren Granger since he's been the starter. Like, I think, you know, like I said, he's not a perfect quarterback, but he is absolutely talent wise, one of the better quarterbacks in the Sun Belt. And, you know, bulked up and now is another offseason. And this year he's got an offseason with the same OC that he's supposed to. You know, Trent McKnight has stayed in the job this whole time and I don't know what kind of level the shakeup had with losing Brad Glenn last offseason and then having Josh step, step in and then leave again. You know, I don't know what all of that affected Darren, but not a factor this year because there wasn't that change. And he, you know, that coordinator, there was not a, a change in uh, personnel. I think the things you have to go to is obviously he had the bad outing against South Carolina and App State. And that is the thing is like his number one thing I think is going to have to be just zero of those games where everything goes wrong. You can't have like sub 30% completion percentage or even in the third, you know, I don't think that often he got risky with the ball. And I think that's a plus. I think some of the additional interceptions he threw in 2022, I don't look at it as such a bad thing because I think he needed to take a, a little bit more risk without being risky. Um, but certainly going to have to clean up some of those throws. Uh, the pick six against ULM was not a good pass, not a good pass decision over the middle, got punished. Um, I think that the strip sack against Charlotte last year, the kind of flipped that game was a little on him for holding onto the ball too long. But to your point, like 
down the stretch in those last two games against JMU and Marshall, where they had leads in the second half, the offensive line was a bit patchwork. And those two defensive fronts just sat on Georgia state's offensive line. And, you know, they get Marshall got a sequence in the, uh, game that last game of the year where they had sacks on all three plays of an offensive series for Georgia state. And, you know, I think it was guys forced in a position. I don't necessarily want to put the blame game out there, but I don't think Darren had a chance on those plays. And that was kind of the story of the second half for a lot of that. When, when the team kind of got some injuries there and in those last two games, I don't put all of it on Darren, but the games where he just totally is not able to steady out at like 50%. Like maybe you're not at your best, but you're not missing on every throw and you're giving your receivers every chance to catch the ball. Avoiding those games would be number one, but the running potential is there. He obviously knows the offense and he, like you say, is kind of the perfect fit alongside whatever running backs you're going to have back there because he's a running back of his own. He's a guy that the defense has to account for. Certainly, getting the vibe just around Sunbelt media days, there's a lot of respect for Darren Granger in the league. You know, everyone who's seen their team go up against him or been at games that he has been quarterback at have recognized the talent that he does have. And I'm interested to see what another year makes and uh, what he's able to build with new chemistry with new wide receivers. Um, Not to leave it to just him. Obviously it's a deeper room than that. The other thing that I'd mention is I don't know that we're going to want to see any of the freshmen come in or, you know, an injury to Darren or any extended absence from him would still be a negative for the team because he is kind of the leader of the team. But if you're gaming out all potential scenarios with two true freshmen who came in and who went through spring practice, I think it's the best it's been in since that one year where there are like four quarterbacks and maybe they're not going to all transfer within like a month of the season starting, but like, you know, Bryson Harrison and Braylon Raglan, I don't think it'd be a good thing for Georgia State if they were having to see serious reps in 2023. I think that their development is more what it's about. And even next year, it's more of an option. But, you know, I think if you're going to say Georgia State will have their third string quarterback in the game in a game in 2023, it would be a lot less scary of a notion than some of the years we've had recently, where I don't know who the third string quarterback even effectively would have been. So, I did want to also mention that, that that's more of a long-term thing. I probably don't want to see it in 2023 thing, but if they can keep these guys and develop them, the the quarterback room is in as good of a place as it's been in a few years, just as far as sheer numbers and talent. So I'm, I'm going to pivot. Um, and I, I did not want to talk running backs right away because that felt cheap. But the thought came up to me with regards to Darren's play I feel like this is a running back room that is as inexperienced as the last few have been like has been way more that is way more inexperienced than the last few have been. You know, obviously at this point, you know, Marcus Carroll is expected to be the primary starter on, you know, first down, second down, whatever. Um, and I think, you know, we here on the pod specifically have been very bullish on Casey Adams. Um Behind those two, it's a bunch of just guys. And I think, you know, for a team that likes to run the ball, like Georgia State, the team that led the Sun Belt in running and has been as effective at running the ball with, as Georgia State has been the last couple of years, 
having just guys in your running back room is certainly not a position that you know we're accustomed to with this team specifically. Well, first off, I want to say that we said we were going to go random, and we picked like the first two sequential position groups that you would pick if you were going in order. So well done us for, I guess, sticking to a script. I will switch it up when I pick my third one as we wrap up this segment later. I understand your point, but I would say as a counter that Tucker Gregg was just a guy, and then he became what he became. He did start out in that kind of tier as we're talking about like the 2020 season. It's like, oh yeah, and him. He's been getting some reps. He's been on special teams. And then he became a scholarship player and became Georgia State's leading rusher. Um, I think Georgia State, among all the things they're still developing, under Sean Elliott, I think that they have, beyond a shadow of a doubt, earned the benefit of the doubt on running back because they've been putting out good ones the last few years. Like, it isn't, you know, App State, I think, has had a 1,000-yard rusher every year since they've joined FBS. That's still... That's a marker that George State hasn't laid down yet. That's still there is still room to grow. But when you look at all of the players who have come through the program and contributed, you know Trey Barnett, coming, kind of coming out of nowhere, but he came on in a major way in 2019. And Dustin Coates, who kind of flamed out, but the years where he was with the program, by and large, he made a positive contribution. You know Seth Page obviously ended his collegiate career early, pursued other interests, but. He was going to be, if he had played a full career, I think he would have been in the same kind of tier yardage-wise that we're talking about with Tucker. He would have probably taken reps from Tucker because it was a talented guy. You know, Jam, Jam Williams revitalized his career here. And all of those names I've just said, the thing that Coach Elliott said both at Sunbelt Media Days and also when he started spring practice, when he was asked about it, or when he started fall camp this past week and he was asked about it, Marcus Carroll has the chance to be the best back Georgia State's ever had. And so I don't take that as just usual hyperbole because it's not, it's a different prospect than naming a few other positions where Georgia state hasn't had like a, a standout, like this is clearly the best guy, yada, yada, th- this team, like there have been some really good running backs in the past couple of years. And so I, I take note when he puts that type of huge label on a kid who's getting ready to be kind of the guy this year. Specifically for Marcus Carroll, um, I, you, you definitely take note of that. Like you look at the stats that he had back in 2020, 2021. Um, it's nothing that would indicate like, yeah, okay, this could be a guy who could be transcended. But I feel like I've, I have had the thought about him being a very good collegiate running back for at least a couple of years now. Um, and I, then I the Southern Miss game happened. Yeah, exactly. And he absolutely tore it up. And it's like, all right. They're in good hands now, even as Tucker and Jam are dealing with injuries and won't be here after the season. Like that was the game. It was like he he put the Sun Belt on notice. And and you know, to to it is mildly disrespectful that I did call the running back room a bunch of guys underneath the first two. But I don't want to sit here. And it up say, yes, it's going on the bulletin are. board. <laughs> you know, but I don't want to sit here and pretend like there isn't talent in this room because there absolutely is talent in this room. You know, it might not have the names that they've had the last couple of years, like these specific names, but it's probably going to be the middle of the season. And we look up and, you know, as long as guys are healthy, Georgia state's going to be around as one of the better rushing teams in the Sun Belt. It's, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me at all. There is absolutely a lot of talent here. And, Georgia State's going to run the damn ball under Sean Elliott. Like, we know the form this team is going to take. And so I give them every chance to succeed just on the fact that we know it's going to be 
the DNA of this offense. I also think having Darren as kind of an effective another running back takes the load off of the Marcus Carroll and KZ as they're kind of the one-two. And Freddie Brock, I don't know that he's like I talked about this when the addition happened. I've written about this a couple of times in the various times where we've talked about the running back room. And I just go back to like that's kind of what Tucker was, where he's kind of didn't wow you wasn't a name that jumped out wasn't stats that jumped out but that guy as like the third option you might just look up and he just quietly got a four four and a half yards per carry and that's enough for what they're gonna ask as long as everyone in front of him stays healthy and i think that with kz being small and kind of the, the read on him being like he is all talented for the world let's see if he can hold up over this season and let's see how much usage he can get in every game Having Marcus, who's going to be the lead back in front of him, and having a guy like Brock that they can rely on to just take some carries if he needs a beat as the third guy. Yeah, health standing still, you know, and that's not a given in college football. Everyone's staying healthy. That feels like a good mix and a kind of a, a different look than last year because maybe more three than just the two, um, which because Marcus Carroll wasn't really getting all that much reps until there were some injuries ahead of him. But those three plus Darren Granger, like that being the core of the running room, the just the running output on for Georgia State, I feel like that is the least of the worries as long as the offensive line play is better than it was late in 2022. And, you know, I wonder if that new strength and conditioning coach that Georgia State got is really going to help with the injuries. Because, um, I mean, health – Health was a big factor in the way that Georgia State played their season last year, you know, and maybe one coach or one philosophy doesn't outweigh the luck that is involved with having a healthy season. But, you know, if there is a solid bit of luck and there's a lot of health on this team, that that helps a, a room like the running back room where you look at it and say, you know, there's production there. There's production for the taking, but you know some guys need to just kind of ease into the season or play behind some other guys. And schematically, you want to do some different things and let guys learn. Like I don't think it's a talent thing, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it's I I'm definitely excited to see this side of the ball and this position group specifically, um, just because it has been Georgia State's bread and butter. You know, since they've you know turned this thing around as a program, it's been. Yeah, they've gotten better quarterback play, no doubt, but a lot of that has been secondary to, you know, having a good offensive line and, you know, being able to run the ball as they want to. Well, I am going to break the mold. We're going to go defense to finish it out um, because we went quarterback, then running back and kind of stick with, you know, what you're talking about with injury luck and back, back thereof. And the inside linebacker position, I think, long run benefited a ton from what was an awful situation with Blake Carroll getting injured last year, because, you know, as we sit here, Blake Carroll is back. I really don't know how to handicap his season. Like as far as like what form he's in, if he is the Blake Carroll that we saw before the injury, just because Achilles is are weird. And I think it's just fair to him to not put like that pre-injury expectation on him, but he is back. Jordan Benziao is back. John Trey Hunter, as I learned reading the media guide, is now an inside linebacker, or at least is going to have some reps there. That was the biggest takeaway that I had when I was looking through the media guide ahead of the season. It makes sense because he 
put on a lot of weight. He was another big gainer in the offseason. He's up to 240 now. I mean, you talk about just the most sheer talent. And even before Hunter made that switch, inside linebacker is in a really good place right now to where you know, even without injury, you know, you've got those three guys that you have seen be really good contributors on this defense. Even as the defense has struggled, I think that you could say the inside linebacker play has been very solid each of the last few years with those guys doing it. And add on to that, you know, Jordan Jones and Justin Abraham got those reps they got last year that you wouldn't have traded it. You'd rather have Blake Carroll play every game last year, exhaust his eligibility and move on. But given the way it did happen, you saw Abraham and Jones kind of blossom as the season went on and really show you something that and those guys are, you know, I don't know exactly how the reps are going to shake out. I don't know. Again, we're going to have to see if John Trey is fully an inside linebacker, or if he's going to be kind of a tweener in the new scheme that Chad Staggs is bringing in. But I don't think either of those guys are going to be starters. And I think if it's a different bizarro world where either of them are the starter this year, based on what we saw last year, I think you'd be comfortable with that. And it's not that often that, you know, you can look to the guys that's maybe four, five, six down the depth chart that you feel totally comfortable with playing big reps. But I think that's what they built it inside linebacker. The Blake Carroll injury last year was so unfortunate. Um, and the kind of the consequences from it, he got injured in the Charlotte game last year. And Coastal did a really good job the next week on short rest for both teams, really kind of hammering that position for Georgia State. Coastal play was, one. literally yeah. the first play from scrimmage. Yeah, Big exactly. play touchdown. Justin Abraham was in coverage, just got beat. Just got beat. And I think there were a lot of problems last year. Um, as the season went on, Abraham and Jones figured it out. Um, and I think they figured it out in a big way. I, I don't want to sit here and tell you that they are as dynamic as Venzial and Carroll can be. That would be a lie. Um, but, you know, the last couple of years, we've talked about Georgia State's depth, you know, all across the football field. You know, they've had depth. And unfortunately, last year in this specific position group, it kind of crumbled pretty early. Um, but those are two guys that got a lot of experience. You know, they had to. They, you know, they were thrown right in the ring, you know, from a pretty early position in the year. Um and, I, and that obviously made them better because you saw it as the year went on. They didn't get beat nearly as much. Um, they were able to, you know, make plays both in coverage and, you know, getting after guys behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and, it, you know, I don't, I don't know how I feel about where the position group is in terms of kind of their ceiling. You know, the names are there. You know, Venzial's one of the best linebackers in the Sun Belt. Um, there's been some graduations that I can think of off the top of my head too. Um, but outside of, I think was his name Henderson on ODU. Yeah. Um, preseason defensive player of the year for the Sun Belt. Yes. There's not a ton of linebackers that I can think are definitively better than Jordan. Um, he really is, you know, when you, when you think of linebackers in this conference, he's going to be the guy you know, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be the guy that gets put in a lot of conversations at the end of the year. Um, Carroll's experience is huge. Um, you know, obviously, he's still a very talented linebacker. Um, 
like you said, Achilles is weird. You know, it could be a situation where the first couple of weeks he doesn't even start. You know, he is probably like medically cleared and he's practicing. Um, and obviously he gets in games, you know, there's different personnel groupings and stuff like that. But, you know, when the depth chart comes out, you see his name and, he, you know, there are guys behind him um, just to kind of get his football, you know, clock going again and running because, you know, missing time with an injury like an Achilles injury, it's a lot. It's hard. Um, but it's, it's going to be an interesting position group. Like this one, this one might not be the entirety of the defense and really set the tone for everything. But if this unit rises to a level of elite Sunbelt play, it'll go a long way to kind of help Georgia State with how young the other position groups on the defense are. Um, because I, I would probably venture that this is one of the older ones. Um, I, I, I can't imagine like the D-line and the secondary. No, well, it, older versus there's some like, older guys that have been brought in the secondary, but Georgia state isn't familiar. If Georgia state fans don't know them yet, whereas exactly you've seen all the guys in the linebacker core play. And yeah, I mean, I would kind of give it a little bit bigger expect. I would say like, that's what they should be. Like they should kind of be the leaders. Like they are on paper right now, the most bankable projection on the defense. You know, I think that you're going to need contributions from, you're going to need contributions from all three levels, obviously. But as we sit here now, I think that you're going to lean on that experience that you have up the middle. And we don't know exactly what the scheme's going to look like under Chad Staggs, but from what I've watched of his old defenses at Coastal, you're still going to have kind of a similar thing where they're going to be shooting gaps on the, against the run and really coming downhill, loading up that box and being a real feature as Georgia State's looking to stop the run. And so in they're not the roles are going to change on this defense under a new defensive coordinator, or a new scheme. I don't know how much theirs are. And I think that they've shown that they can fulfill that role to a T, you know? And like I say, I'm really, really interested to see exactly what Hunter does because, yeah, I think if he had just been penciled in off or outside linebacker again, he would have been a projectable guy to get sacks, tackle for loss. Like he has been a valuable player and he has gotten better every year he's been at Georgia state, but seeing that they have this new role for him and him putting in the work to add so much good weight during the off season definitely has me wondering what the plans are there because, you know, we've known there's some hybrid stuff in the stags defense and maybe he's going to be, you know, I thought that would be mostly guys. We haven't seen as much playing in new roles, but there he is in the media guide under a new role, doing a new job. And it, I don't think it's like any kind of demotion or anything. I think it's a guy that they trust to be one of the focal points of the defense. And as the season goes on, I'm interested to see what that looks like. Certainly caught my eye. All right. That's all we got for this week. We're going to have more of the same next time around uh, talking about October's football games and then four different position groups. So until then have a great week and go Panthers.